Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has Kabir Kabir. Welcome everyone to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. We're the show that's getting you over the advantage line of the hottest topics of Australian rugby and there are plenty of hot topics to discuss this week in what should probably be, I guess, our last show of the year. Uh, And because it is our last show of the year and because there is plenty of discuss, we have done the right thing and brought in all the uh, the big names from Green and Gold Rugby this weekend. None bigger than Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Mate, I'm very good. I... I hope I'm feeling better than your tone of your voice sounds. Uh, Mate, I, I thought I was crook last week, but I've um, I made my return to the touch footy field after a couple of years tonight and, and was super impressed with myself to score a try with my first touch of the ball. And then promptly, uh, about 10 minutes later, strained my calf, and I'm currently ricing it uh, as we speak. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Realized. No, I thought it might have been the clinical depression kicking in after the, <laughs> after the end of this season. I mean, yeah, yeah. the idea of it—I don't think we—I don't think for our safety can we, for our mental safety, can we go on for another podcast like this? So, um, as much as I enjoy God. doing it with you guys, love it. But yes, um, yes. Oh. yes, I know what you mean. I know the, the family's pretty happy too. Look, but let's bring the rest of them in too. Uh, Hugh Cavill's joining us as well. How are you, Hugh? Oh, I'm I'm great, Reg. I mean, winning the cricket, beating England. I mean, where are the egg chasers when you, when you need them? That's all I got. Exactly right. Um, and, and the team capitulating, Johnny Bairstow, Bairstow wise. That's fantastic. And, and and look, joining us, big effort from stateside. Jamie Miller joining us uh, early in the morning over his way. Jamie, thanks for joining us, mate. Not a problem. Not a problem. Glad to be here. Excellent. So, look, we have our five burning questions this week, and we are actually going to talk rugby, however much we wanted to um, avoid it as much. And the five burning questions are, the the first one is exactly the same as last week, just part two. What the F happened? I am going to try and hold off my swearing because I found out some of my families listen to the show. So what the the F happened this week? Question two, uh, can we draw any positives from that performance? Question three is check his job on the line now. Question four, how do we rate the season? Maybe we'll have a look at the, a highlight and a low light each, but how do we rate that season from Australian rugby perspective? And question five, what, if anything, can we look forward to in 2018? Um, but let's get to it, guys. The uh, the Scots, they uh, they demolished us, 53 to 24. And after setting a, a score, a record score, uh, for us, for Scotland versus Australia earlier this year in Sydney when they beat us uh, by the tune of what uh, twenty four to nineteen that was a there was a record for Scottish versus um, Australia Test matches they came out and smashed us this time and and set that record again and set it a lot higher with the fifty three to twenty four there was a lot there's a lot to, to talk about in this one um, and uh, Hugh let's let's start with you you wrote a bit of an interesting article which probably talked a bit broader but let's the perspectives of this match, mate. It was it was a a tough watch. Did you did you get the sense early? I guess that it was going to go that way. Oh yeah, re- really early. I think you know the game started with you know we I think we won a few penalties and and got down the field and and um, didn't 
oh, I think we might have come away with the penalty goal. Didn't come away with points. I can't remember what it was. But Scotland got the ball about you know eight or nine minutes in, and instantly, um, you know, went went hard on attack, and we were just backpedalling from from the moment they got the ball. We, we, and, you know, they'd go one way and, and stretch us out wide, and then they'd go back the other way and stretch us out wide again, and it looked like we were outnumbered on, on, on both sides. Um, and so instantly the, the, we were falling off tackles, and you could just tell mentally we weren't there defensive. You know, in, in our defence, we had wingers that were flying up out of the line um, and, and ending up in no-man's land, uh, and the guys on the inside weren't coming up to you know, at the same pace and we're leaving huge gaps on the inside. So really Scotland, you know, uh, Scotland played well, but really it would have been hard for them not to score points against us because we were just so poor. Um, and and in many ways, Reg, I think it was remarkable to think that we were actually um, actually scored a, a pretty good try early in the second half with 14 players uh, to level it up. And for a second there, I thought, oh, God, well, we might actually compete in this game. Um, and to have it all tied up, you know, I think after about 45 minutes was, was, was something considering the way we were playing. But then Scotland just went bang, bang, bang. And, and you looked up and it was, it was 40 to 17. And, and, and that was game over. And, and all of their tries were just sadly too easy. You know, they, they were, they were just simple use of the hands through the back line, finding space out wide and exploiting those numbers. And then, then, you know, we'd, we'd fall off a tackle or two and, and let them in ourselves. It, it really was, um, you know, <laughs> It's a it's a sad way to end the season. It leaves a really bitter taste, and it's really disappointing. There's not much more to say about yeah. that at Red. I, I think. Well, let's let's give uh, probably start. Just give a little bit of a pricey to this game. Uh, events that's happened in the last week. So first and foremost, the Scots pushed New Zealand. We, we mentioned it very quickly last week in what was an excellent performance, and what was noticeable there was the, the speed they played and. You know, my interpretation of this match is we weren't ready for the speed they played this game. And I don't think we've seen a Northern Hemisphere side, probably not even England, play as fast as these guys did with, with the speed and the width. But the, the other huge impact from this game, or, or prior to this game, was the Scots losing two guys effectively the day of the game. Stuart Hogg, their star fullback in the warm-ups, um, and their centre, Dunbar, I think, pulled out late as well. So they had... Two guys pulled off the bench into the starting line, a reshuffle in the back line, and Byron McGuigan comes into the starting line and scores two tries, and I think he was actually awarded the, the commentary man of the match. But um, it, it, was, it was all against Scotland this game, and, uh, and they turned it on big time. It was amazing. Jamie, from your perspective, mate, um, what's, your, what's your read of this, I guess, from a Wallaby performance, but also from that Scots performance? Well, look, Scotland are a good team. They are creative, they're expansive, they're effective, and I think, you know, we should give them a lot of credit. They they, they really unravel us very quickly, and I think they'll be very competitive in the Six Nations. But, I mean, after the game, Michael Checker said that the difference between the two sides wasn't the red card, and he was right, not for the right reasons, but he was right. The difference was when the red card happened, Scotland had a clear plan of how they were going to play, 15 on 14, and everybody knew what that plan was. I mean, as soon as Kepu got sent off, it was a kickable penalty, 38th minute, and they decided, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. We'll go straight for the corner, we'll maul it, we'll suck in the guys around the outside, we'll take advantage of that 8 on 7. And that just showed a lot of confidence and trust. Australia was the exact opposite. They appeared to have no idea about how to play 14 on 15. And if they had 
practiced that. They certainly hadn't practiced it extensively, and the players just didn't trust each other. Um, there was a great example of a game a couple of years ago where the Sharks beat the Crusaders with only 13 players in New Zealand. And you do that by keeping it tight, by removing the amount of times where those differences in the player numbers matter. And you've got to just be tactically smart. You've all got to buy in and you've got to find ways to score points, but also to limit the number of times that the opposition can score points. And we did the exact opposite. We decided that because we like to play an open game all the time with 15 guys, therefore we're just going to do it with 14. And it was just it's so stupid. I mean, it's just so stupid. And I don't think a lot of international coaches would have made the same choices. And unfortunately, I think that's the... That's why the game sort of felt like such an appropriate ending to the year was that it was just another example of us doing something that was illogical and stupid at the end of a year where we've done so many things. We just watch teams on the field and they're just doing so many illogical things over and over and over. And it's, it's depressing to see. Yeah, it is. And again, look, this is cathartic and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's needed. But Matt, from your perspective, um, we were actually leading, you know, close to the half-time just prior to that um, Kepu red card uh, after Kurandrati scored that, that try from the, the Foley chip. What was your feel? Did you feel that, you know, that was deserving or did, did you feel that uh, the Wallabies were playing uh, to, to the level we needed them? Oh, no, I I thought we were probably in catch-up, really. Um because I think after that, we had a Waratah-like uh, first two minutes. You know those two first two minutes Warat- yeah. Waratah can do yep. where it just all looks absolutely perfect and you're just like, exactly. oh, my God, they're sensationally on fire. And then we somehow got turned over, I think, in a pretty dodgy way, but whatever. And that seemed to be the end of the game for everybody. Yep. That, I, I don't think it was actually the red card. I think it was way before that that there were a bunch yep. of people who just totally checked out um, and said, well, there's no way this is going to happen anyway. Um, I kind of wonder, and I know some people are going to think this is harsh on the guy, but I think as soon as you put Karevi at 12, I think it just says to the team, there you go, guys, there's an arm time behind your back, you know, go for it. Because someone's going to have to remind me of the game where Karevi's played at 12. And don't get me wrong, it's, this isn't necessarily putting it all at his feet. But, you know, we are stretched in the sort of contorted things we need to do to hide, you know, various people in our back line as it is. And when you just get that extra one, um, it all just goes absolutely pear-shaped. And I think it's happened, you know, so it happened against the Poms in those three those three tests to the point where I think we actually yanked him. Um, and then every other time he's popped up, it's been it's been exactly the same. And then we saw it last weekend and everyone just kind of went, oh, it's not going to happen. And it happened again this weekend. And you can see it. I think it was Hugh talked about just earlier on about how, you know, when the back line just clearly hasn't got a clue what it is doing in defence and, you know, and Scotland just all they had to do, all they had to do was just use hands. They didn't have to do anything fancy at all. It was pure sort of, you know, um, catch you know, I'm not even sure they even had to draw and pass. It was absolutely, uh, uh, it was spellbinding. But the other bit was just, the, and so I don't know which triggers which. I guess I'm hatching the theory that the team kind of goes out there knowing that someone up top hasn't taken this serious from the from the beginning. And I guess other people have pointed towards who they chose at hooker as well to say whether you actually took this game seriously. Um, because if you look at just some of the stats, um 
Scotland had 18 clean breaks to three um, for the Wallabies. Um, the, the Wallabies had a tackle success rate of 76% versus oh. the Scots versus the Scots at 90%. And the Scots had to make 200 tackles to the 145 that we um, had to attempt, of which we only got 110. So which, whichever way you look at it, and then and it wasn't just in defence that we totally pulled a heartilage. It was also just in in a, in attack in the ball carries. Um, suddenly the team was so much deeper. Uh, that was really really noticeable, and just started getting caught behind the game line. And then when we got caught, we weren't getting anywhere. Uh, when you had people like Rob Simmons having eleven runs for seven meters, he managed to average under a meter a carry. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it mustn't have been those meters that, you know, obviously he had burnt his legs for that, for that famous day. So he tried later on. So look, there was something mentally had just not shown up for the Wallabies. Um, I mean, I've thrown a few theories out there for what's triggered it. Obviously last weekend didn't help and everything else, but just mentally they were out of sorts. I think Hooper's attitude. He's gone from the consultative skipper who, you know, was starting to manage refs quite well to the kid who's kind of trying to hide at the back um, when he's about to get pinged. Um, Kepu's crazy shoulder. We were back to the horrible, uh, you know, sort of Waratah uh, di- discipline and then now into – and then, you know, how we thought we'd moved on from that discipline in the Wallabies. That was all completely back. Um it's kind of like this alter ego that kicks in with the Wallabies that's clearly a, it's a checker manifestation um, when everyone has just spat the dummy. And I don't know how. You just can't play test rugby like this. You know, this this whole thing. And Kirtley Beal too is, yeah. Yeah. Go on, mate. Sorry, mate. I, I, I just got to go on. You know, the, the Beal yellow card, two and two weeks, and each time he's tried to argue his case. I mean, you're not going to get any, and I think that's exactly right. The attitude there is just is is indicative of of um, what I was going to say, indicative of what the, the the culture in the camp must be. But it doesn't show that in the passion on the field. I mean, I, it was an unbelievable performance. I, I couldn't. It was, and credit to Scotland, they looked superbly coached. They looked like I think in in Sydney they beat us with their defence. You know, their their work in defence, they're up in our face all game, and we couldn't we couldn't get through them. Izzy, Izzy did well for a couple of tries, but. This one was about their attack and the width. Finn Russell as a fly half is every, everything the Wallabies don't like. He's he's a super skillful, great vision, and, and and can you know do it all. He can small kicks, big kicks, take on the line himself, and he positions himself so well. And he wants to get involved in the game. Um, he 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 sort of really set them up. And in what was quite frankly, a, from our perspective, a bit of a no name um, Scottish backline. And that's no disrespect. It's absolutely absolutely our naivety as to the game up there. But we would have known a lot of those players before the game in, outside of um, outside of uh, uh, Finn Russell. They, obviously, Sean Maitland at fullback, but um, he wouldn't have worried us too much. But that was that back line all too easily dominated us and tore us to shreds. And um, the red card wasn't the factor, but it was just... It, that just would have ramped Scotland up because that was their chance just to keep playing that game, and they knew it was all going to roll on from there. Because it was uh, it, w- it was mind blowing how uh, how average that was. But still, Hugh. But you know, there was a stage, as you sort of say, that that start of that second half, we were still in it. You know, Beal dummies his way over, um, and you know we're well and truly in the game, um, but just couldn't hold on. That the Scots just began their role. Uh, and with that, Hugh's hung up. 
Um, I think that's pretty much what he did after the game, did he not? He said he uh, he said he watched the first sixty minutes and and turned after that. So um, yeah. he's done the same on the podcast. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Sorry. Giving his his best Rob Simmons impersonation. He's physically on the podcast, but he's not really here. Um, <laughs> just giving up. Just giving up. Sorry, sorry, Reg, for for my rude, briefly brief technical uh, technical issues there. Um, um, I, I don't recall what you asked me, but look, I'm going to speak oh, anyway. Yeah. Um, go, on, go, go. Now, <laughs> my, my the point I made in in my article today, I think, um, which is a, is a broader point. If you step back, is I think there are two ways of looking at this Wallaby side, and I think your your general way you view the game in this country probably. Uh, uh, tells you which side of this you'll fall on, but I think I, I think there's two ways to view the Scotland game. The first first is as it's an outlier. You know, we just had a shocker, bad day at the office, turned up, um, things weren't going our way, red card, and it all fell out, fell fell to pieces after that. Um, and you know, you sort of, as Steve Hansen would say, you, you flush the dunny, you move on, and you forget it ever happened. Now, unfortunately, we've got six months till our next game, so that's not exactly as easy as it sounds. But, you know, you can more or less try and forget about it and focus on what the last couple of months of, of play was going back to probably the, the Bledisloe in New Zealand, which was, you know, broadly pretty good play that was on an upward trajectory, um, you know, discovering new players and, and generally riding the ship of Australian rugby. Um, and the Scotland game was just an outlier. And then the second perspective is that the Scotland game was actually the, this team who they are. You know, that's that's the reality of the situation. And and the last uh, couple of months was was a bit of a you know a dead cat bounce, if you will, like a, a the the last gasp of a dying man, uh, where we just sort of found something, a moment of clarity against weak Southern Hemisphere opposition before coming up against, you know, two pretty good teams in England and Scotland and, and completely falling to water. Um, and, you know, I, I tend to be a bit more optimistic and fall on the, the earlier, you know, the former argument there, which is I think probably things are better than what that Scotland game made them seem. Um, but, you know, on my article today, a lot of guys argue that latter view. And, and you know, I, I think it's a bit binary, Sue. I don't think all of a sudden Checker's rubbish and Hooper's rubbish and Foley's rubbish and all these players are rubbish because we've had, you know, one bad game against against Scotland. I think, you know, there's there's I think there's a group of people out there and a lot of them unfortunately common on our front page that are just seemingly waiting for the Wallabies to trip up and almost take pleasure in putting the boot in, um, you know, to any and all sort of players. And and I, th- I think that's you know that's not exactly a healthy way to to watch rugby, but um, you know I can I can certainly understand some of their criticisms after the Scotland game, but um, I think uh, yeah look I, I think we're probably in a little bit of a better state than that. I don't think one game makes us terrible all of a sudden. I prefer to look at the last two months and, and probably draw a bit more from that. But uh, geez, it, it's just a poor timing to play like that in the last game, isn't it, Reg? It just you know, it's hard to argue against anything watching that game. We just, we just, you know, completely phoned it in in a way that really only the Springboks do in international rugby these days. You know, no one else really turns in such such a horrible performance. So yeah, it's it's hard I, yeah. to hard to reconcile. I, th- I thought it was one of our most average performances I've seen for a number of years, and that's saying something because uh, there have been plenty of average performances, Jamie. To Hugh's point there, is this an outlier or is this a trend of, uh, 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 I guess, a realistic showcase of where Australian rugby is, the Wallabies are at the moment? No, no, it's, it's not an outlier. It's, um, it's, a, it's a, a flare-up of a symptom that comes from 
chronic problem in the team. I mean, if we take last year and this year together, this just keeps happening. I mean, we've played England five times and we've lost the same match five times. We've scored points in all the games except the last one. We've been in those games and we've just given them try-scoring opportunities five times. It's the same game if you watch it over again. We've gone to Ireland. We've lost against a team with a back line that is decimated by injury on the day and can barely string together an over-under move, a block, a line, nothing. And we, we still let them win. Um, we've lost to Scotland at home. We've lost to Scotland away. We've nearly lost to Italy at home. I mean, this is a team that has chronic, chronic problems. And for me, it just boils down to one thing, which is when we play particularly Scotland or Ireland, uh, also England, everything they do is purposeful. And you can see the value added that the coaching is giving on the field. You think, wow, that's a tough team to beat because they're smart. They make good decisions. They're well coached. They've looked at the opposition. I never feel that way when watching this Australian team. I feel when we play well, it's just because we're playing that route A and we're doing it well. But I really think that we've developed some savvy alternate strategies to deal with a particular opponent. I really think oh, uh, this, this is something new that the opposition isn't expecting. I always think the opposition knows what we're going to do because we do the same thing week in, week out. And it's just, it's just sad to see. I mean, we've got to actually have a conversation about where this is going, and I think that's where the next question is leading. So. Well, yeah, well, we're getting there. That's probably the, the, the one following this, and I'll, I'll try and keep to the agenda. Um, Matt, we, let's not go to... Number two, just yet. There's a positives just yet because I think we can delve a little bit deeper in this game still. Oh. Um, from your, your perspective on that same sort of question, is, is this an outlier or do you think this is um, indicative of where we really are? No, I'm 100% with Jamie on that. I, I think we've we continue to, to come across this is that, um, I mean, you know, I think Michael Checker adopts the, um, you know, Rugby is a super simple game. I think I, you know, we've all heard him say this, right? There's this mantra, you know, rugby is a super simple game, and basically you just you, you just play it really simply but really well in a way that nobody can resist, and you win. And I look, I think you can get away with that at club. I think you can get away at that at, at um, even super level because you know it's possible to get a good enough team together um, with a slightly better, you know, and and because you know. Uh, you know, conditioning's variable and everything else. And, and I think the Tars in that season managed to just, you know, tie a few of those things together. When you hit test match rugby, you're at a completely different level. The coaching is at a different level. The players are all at a different level. The players can play more than one way, or they, they should, they should be able to know how to do. And they can now in, in, in the Northern Hemisphere. And they always could, uh, you know, it, it, with the, uh, with the All Blacks. And so we are quite literally, Eddie Jones said this before his very first test when he played Michael Checker, and he said, this is going to be rope dope And he's done it every single time. And Checker cannot help himself but walk straight back into it every single time. Yeah. Um, this is not Stuart Lancaster, um, who was kind of sort of yeah. like, you know, who was another dope. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a, this is Gregor Townsend. He's a smart guy too. Um, and he's got smart guys around him. So, although we'll come back to that Scotland point later on, um, I guess, but, or I'd like to, but, um, yeah, look, I just think this is something that just keeps playing out time and time again. This is probably coming on to our question number three, which is, so where next for Michael Jackson? Well, well, uh, well, so, so, okay, so well, I'll Matt, then, that one up. 
Well, no, we just had another sub-50% season you, another. Yeah, but no, but before that, okay, so what were the last two months then? Talk, I mean, talk me through that. What, you know, okay, starting, uh, starting at that, that Bledisloe in, in, in New Zealand, I mean, what, what, what was that period? And then probably stopping at well, about the 65-minute mark in the England game. Um, you know, what, what, what was that then? So, look, we, we do one thing, and this is the checker plan. We do one thing really quite well. And when it comes off, that's okay. As soon as the opposition decides to go, well, hang on, I can go a little bit left or a little bit right around that, it wobbles and falls apart. So we, we still lost, we lost in Sydney and, oh, surprise, surprise, it was that same back, it was a very similar back line in the first half that got absolutely shredded. Finally got, sort of got fixed up in the second half when the game was already over. Dunedin, we still lost. Um, we South Africa Perth was average, yep. Yeah, South Africans we tied with. They, and they've been roundly dicked by a whole bunch of different people in the meantime, had one good game where they arm wrestled New Zealand. I think there's question marks over New Zealand. I mean, they just they just managed to pip Scotland 22-17. This is not a classic New Zealand. And then we won a, and we, we just won a dead rubber um, against New Zealand. And oh, sorry, uh, Argentina, who didn't win another match yeah. um, in the whole in this whole time. So I think it's. Look, as much as I like to say that one facet of game, there was a, and we got, I agree with you, Hugh, and that, you know, in, on this podcast, we got, we started to get hopeful where we were saying, oh, look, you know, that one facet that we're good at, we, you know, those irresistible 70 meter sort of runs. Um, but, and then we got a little bit more hopeful when we saw a little bit of, uh, high ball action, I think, against the Welsh. Um, but that's been it. Like, and, and I, and I, and I, yet again, and look, you just when you get done by Scotland, fifty-two, twenty something, you just got to say, having been done by England the week before, thirty odd, six, you know, you've just got to say that that they're not blips, right? Yeah, uh, I think you. Yeah, I, I I think New Zealand, the New Zealand one was the outlier. You look at that game and how we played in that game and the passion and the intent, intense. City we played, the the aggression we showed in defence, and I think we all came out and we all apologised to Nathan Gray after that. But go back and look at the defence in this game, and I'm not just meaning the eight tries or the space they found out wide, but how many times they their forwards and their backs just pushed off our defence. It was like we were playing, we were boys against men at times. I couldn't believe the number of times our defenders were pushed off tackles and, and pushed backwards in defence. And, and again, that becomes an attitude thing. And attitude is a lot of the players, but it's responding to the coach. And I, I think there's real issues then. And again, we're getting into to later questions. But I, I, I thought I think if you're looking at an outlier this season, it's that New Zealand game in Brisbane. That's the, the best time we've played. It's the only good footy we've played since the Rugby World Cup, and even that is starting to have a few asterisks come around it. But uh, I, I thought this was uh, very much indicative of where we've gone, unfortunately. And I kind of said it last week versus England, but I, I thought that was – it was terrible. Um, I, I do want to challenge us, guys. I, I do want to challenge us the question too. I guess I've got to put it to you at least. The question two in our burning questions is, can we draw any positives from that match, any at all? I, it, it's probably a challenge, Jamie. Scrum was good. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, to be serious, you know, four or five years ago, our scrum was not at international standard, and now it absolutely is. You know, week in, week out, yeah. we're competitive. We often get the get dominance over the opposition. We're getting, you know, probably slightly better than 50% of the decisions. 
when we have our first first choice props on, our scrum is very good, and it was. I like Luke Antui, um, you know, knocking out that Scottish defender in the second half. That was promising. You know, we've seen a bit of Lucan, and yep. he seems to be able to do something. Yep. Those were the promising aspects. That was it. There was nothing. Yep. Hugh, you're our Mr. Optimism at the moment. Anything from your perspective? Um, uh, I, look, not really. It's I a mean, hard call when you're getting back by 50 points. Well, yeah, and the forwards just didn't show. I mean, everyone go, oh, well, Foley. The fo- focus, I'm, I'm sorry, Reg, I've got to pick this back up. Focus, oh, Foley. Well, Foley set up our first two tries. Foley kicked a beautiful grubber kick for Tavita Kurandrani and yeah. then set up his second one as well with a solo effort, you know. Every, you, the, oh, Foley. And through the pass for that first Scottish well, try as well. Well, that's true. Exactly. That was a pillar of a ball. Um, but you know, you know, you know what I love about you, Reg, is that even when we come on here and we're all on the same bandwagon, the Queenslander in you can't take a can't take a break. You just Mate, always all seasons off. Well, hey, you guys just lambasted Samu for the last fifteen minutes. Why can't I have? I didn't even say anything about Foley now, and all already Cavill's jumping all over me about Foley. Well, here you go. The Fred, Wallaby I'll season's over. Guys. Wallaby season. Guys, no wait. The Wallaby season's over. It is. In our Super Rugby preseason, we can get back to being parochial. Well, Reg, I'll, here we go. I'll do you a favour. I'll jump all over a, a Waratah for you. Rob Simmons, he had an absolute shocker. Um, oh, <laughs> um, um, no, so yeah, like the, where are the forwards? And that's that's the thing. I mean, um, um, Matt, I think I take you up on that thing around Checker can only play one style. Checker's game is built around forward dominance, right? And and that's you know both in attack and defence, and you've got to get that forward dominance. And if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what tactic you're playing. It doesn't matter how many plan B, C's, D's, E's you've got up your you know in in your back pocket. You're gonna lose. You know that's it's just I don't, I don't know. Like I, I don't uh, I you know I, I take your points on a lot of things, and I think you, you you're not far wrong, especially on that defensive front. But I mean the foundation of that loss was our just powder puff forward runs, just getting hit. Over and over again, and and every man one to eight has to step up for that. Hooper was weak. McMahon had a few nice runs off the kickoff, but didn't do enough. McCalman was quiet. That's, there's no, no positives there. You're right. The scrum was it, and the fact that after 80 minutes they blew the final whistle. That was the positive. We could get on the plane and go home. You know, you I know think. who played really poorly was our man Stephen Moore. I mean, yeah. I cannot believe how quickly his form has deteriorated since the start of the season. I mean. Start of the year, he probably had every reason to think that he'd be the first choice hooker and the Wallaby captain. And on Saturday, he looked so off the pace. I mean, he got run over by a Scottish prop in an in-close tackle, you know, like a club rugby player. It was just, it was sad to see. Yeah, I think something um, something happened with Stephen Moore. When was it? Was it just this season or was it last season as well when we started noticing? Uh, last Last yeah, season, yeah, and um, it, it's something's happened physically or mentally, and he, he's obviously he's given the whole game away. Um, at the end of the season, I, you, you think maybe just the number of years he's played in a hard position, it's been, must have been hard on his body. Um, and yeah, I, I look, you know, I think he's just kind of it, whether the, whether it's the body that snapped or the mind together with it, something happened. Yeah, and I didn't want to lay into another Queenslander, but that was. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys, it seems to be that there's not many Queenslanders in the actual team, and you've ticked everyone off so far. Um, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, they um, 
So Moore's last test, it'll be interesting to see who else's last test there'll be. I mean, the sad one might be Sean McMahon, who I thought was probably our best, and and um, he's off to Japan. And if you read the articles uh, in the paper, this yeah, he may not play much more rugby. Um, he's uh, he's really feeling it. He's struggled this year. In fact, it's an interesting one. He said he struggled this year. Carmichael Hunt's really struggled with this year. I don't know whether the coaching team or that, you know, for Super Rugby included have, have managed their players too well. But if these guys are sort of really complaining about their bodies and so on, I can understand it with McMahon the way he throws himself in, but it, it's an interesting side effect. But yeah, McMahon's gone, likely. You'd have to think Rob Sibbins has played his last test, although I've probably said that a few times. You know, I'd be interested to see whether Tatafu ever plays another test, and that's not doubting his abilities. I just think once he's out of the country and uh, in the UK, I just... Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd question that. And there's a few other names there. You, for whatever reason, we might not see again in Wallaby jersey, which is uh, makes it a whole new, different dynamic as we go into next year. Um, but yeah, I'd, from uh, positives, oh, look, I, I know we're the Green and Gold show, but a full Murrayfield um, singing Flower of Scotland and watching their team um, win, playing fantastic rugby against a, a Southern Hemisphere foe. From a rugby perspective, it's still pretty damn amazing. I thought that was a, a great experience. I I hated the game, but you know, you know that, that's that's and you know, Green and Gold Rugby got a bit of connection to that Scottish team. Gregor Townsend, I know a long time. Um, uh, I guess an, at least an early adopter of uh, Green and Gold Rugby, and obviously Tatsy Taylor there too. So it's uh, there's some sort of connection we can claim, but it's um, it was at least good for the Scots. Well, mate, look, but that, that was going to be my positive out of this game, which is Oh, was it? Sorry about that. Well, no, no, which is, which, is, which is, I guess, the topic Scotland, which is just if Scotland can turn it around yeah. <laughs> with, you know, I think you'd say with, you know, even, not even the playing stocks um, no. and, you know, that, that, that we've got. But if they've managed to turn it around just with some pretty straightforward, you know, good management and um, some great coaching and, well, maybe one or two players, you'd have to say – I mean, if you really stood up side by side the talent in the two squads, right? Um, and that's even with Israel Falau not turning up and, and okay, take Falau and Hogg out, right? So let's say that, which yep. they both were. But if you put those two squads down, this is probably going to sound very arrogant to, to a lot of Scots, but I mean, you know, you'd say, which of these players do you think would ever get sniffs of international 15s if they're at, at, on their, at their best? And, I think you would have said, well, there'd be quite a few more Wallabies in there than you'd expect um, in, the, in, the, in the Scotland team. And I mean, it goes back to this whole thing of, well, clearly they've just been managed and coached um, and the whole system's been managed and coached better. And I think there's some good articles around about sort of like uh, Johnson as director of rugby, Tatsy Taylor in their defence, the, the work that Vern Cott has done for the last number of years. Um, Gregor Townsend's made a massive impact um, just in the time that he's been there and then was doing so with, um, with, uh, is it, was it Glasgow that he was coaching uh, beforehand? So, you know, there's a lot there that says, well, you know, you can, you can actually get it right and get it right quite quick, you know, fairly quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, with the, with the right sort of leadership and management of rugby, of the rugby of the code overall, um, just that, you know, we're a long, long way off it. Yeah, we are. We are indeed. Um, all right, well, let's let's move on to the question three. And we're all sort of um, skirting around it somewhat there. And it's time to get stuck into it. And with a record of, since the Rugby World Cup, I've taken that out, 
Um, but since the Rugby World Cup, his record is his win success record is forty five, less than forty five percent. Twenty nine games, thirteen wins. Uh, is it time to uh, his job? Check his job on the line, um, Jamie. Should we be reviewing this intently? We'll come to Hugh. He wrote a really good article today sort of summing up the feelings from the season and so on, and he sort of labelled that Irish series next year, where we played them three times in July, I guess it must be, as the defining moment. But has it come already? Yeah, it absolutely has, and it has to be now. I don't think we can wait until halfway through an international season to have this conversation. I think the time is now. We've got two years until a World Cup. I mean... I think we can agree that these problems are chronic. They keep happening, and we keep losing games for the same reason. Um, the coaching staff has shown no understanding that there is a problem, let alone the ability to fix it. And for me, it's just it's impossible to sort of imagine forward to the 2019 World Cup and imagine us winning seven games like this. I think you know teams think that we can beat any team on our day, but can we do it over and over again? No, because... You know, our record against a very, very poor Springboks outfit over the last two years is a win, a loss, and two draws. We're just, we're just not playing well enough. We're not playing in a savvy enough way. And there are so many good coaches out there, and they're all doing similar things. I mean, the last two years has been about a revolution in defense. It's been about Northern Hemisphere defenses, press defenses, and sure, the way the game's being refereed encourages that. But it's just so typical of the obtuseness of our coaching staff that they know this. They can see other teams using these press defences from Scotland to England to the Lions, but they decide not to use it. They just decide, no, no, we're going to do it our way, regardless of the way that the world works, regardless of the reality and the parameters in which a game of rugby is played. We're just going to do it our way. And I just think that is so stupid. And... Is it's time to throw it open. You know, this is a marquee job in international rugby coaching and there'd be many different coaches with out clauses in their club contracts. And if we could get someone like Dave Rennie or Jamie Joseph or Vernon Cotter who are interested in this position, we should take it. Yeah, and that's, I 100% agree. That's the angle we would need to take. I don't think, you know, we're not looking, Looking for a Laurie Fisher, with all due respect to Laurie and all that sorts of guys, I think we need one of those guns for hire for a little while. I was probably against it previously, but I think we need someone with a bit of independence to come in and look at it. And the time is now. I, I This this team does not look well coached. And if they're not well coached, the players aren't responding to the coaching. And we haven't seen... I don't think I can recall a decent performance over the last couple of years since the World Cup. And like we say, there's a few um, sort of asterisks some of the, around those World Cup wins The Pretty poor England team before the resurgence. A, a really gutsy win over Wales, and but then we could talk about uh, the Scot the Scotland game and, and and what that was all about. But since then, been average, and I can't remember a good game. I mean, absolutely, New Zealand and Brisbane this year, um, they were actually really good, really good against a New Zealand team that had arguably checked out, changed a few players. Still a professional team and, and still not the team that they have been in the past, but that's been our one sole decent performance over the last couple of years that it's not good enough. And unfortunately, there's no leadership in Australian rugby at the moment. And there's, I don't think there's literally any leadership at the moment. I think Pulver's effectively gone and there's rumours about who will replace him. And God, if it is who they suggest it will be, 
uh, Michael Checker's former teammate, Phil Kearns, you can imagine he's not going to make that tough decision um, straight away. So um, I think we're stuck with him. But, Matt, from your perspective, is it something that should be reviewed now? Is it is it an urgent thing or should we just be uh, holding on until uh, we get a bit closer? Yeah, well, we've got to this really strange zone. Malcolm Knox um, wrote a really good article. Um, it was actually on the Saturday before the match, before we knew the result. And he was talking about why it was actually an important result because he was saying, we've got to a place now with Australian rugby where, and it's just nuts, we seem to be building for four years every World yeah. Cup. And how can you be doing that? How can, you know, how can you be, you know, be, you know so because theoretically, right, um, there's only three matches because, you know, you should be able to get through your pool, right? So then there's really kind of like three matches that kind of matter. So are we sort of saying there's only three matches that make any difference and that's all we're, that's all we're hanging out for? Because it seems to me that Checker kind of feels that, he, you know, it was kind of like with the Tars winning that title. Once he won the title, we'll stuff that and quick, let's move on. Um, and that's what he just needs to do. He needs, just needs to check in get himself a World Cup and, 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 and check out. And anything in between isn't going to matter. But I think they've really lost the plot if they think that's the case. You can't be turning up and having these wild variations of score lines and, and you know, getting to down to 45%. I mean, how much lower do you go, um, you know, before you kind of say, wow, and, and keep dropping down the international rankings? At which point do you go just in the hope that because this guy was there when we got to a you know, a World Cup final, um, you know, for, you know, three or two years ago now. I mean, you've got to stop somewhere. Um, And I and I think it's a kind of, it's just totally disrespectful to fans to say, well, I know it's just going to be a schmozzle, guys, but, you know, um, you're just going to have to trust us and and put up with with this, just be, you know, being basically what's now a laughing stock. I mean, Eddie Jones is just laughing at us. so that, that's my question, Mark, is just I think there's a whole thing there about how, how seriously are we taking international rugby and the standing of the Wallabies and, and like, how you play tests. I, I just wonder what other, what other international coaches we come up against must be thinking each time they do. I guess they think, well, you know, he's, he's going to be you know, a relatively easy, easy match um, because, you know, even if they're firing and the one thing they can do, I know how to get around that. Um, it's very, very strange, and uh, I'd recommend that article to people because it just asks the question: Why are we here? Are we really here just for one, sh- for uh, for the, you know, for a shot at a World Cup every four yes, but, years? But, but Matt, if, if they're building, it's that's too simplistic. Because if if they're building for a World Cup, then why are they picking Stephen Moore? You know, like it it doesn't add up because if if we were taking that view of well, yeah, let's you know, if they were legitimately blooding new talent then I think I could actually almost live with it more because the the guys that they're picking in there, you know, there's no radical left field 17, 18, 19-year-olds in there, really. I mean, Ulacy was slightly left field, but I think quickly proved that he probably was our third best hooker in Australia. Tong and Thor has been around a long time and had a great NRC. So, look, I, I, I don't... You know, I, I, I get your point, but again, like, I don't think you could say this team is building for the World Cup. Then what um, is it doing, and how do you explain a forty-five percent win rate? Like, well, because you, I can't the, even how do you explain. Uh, then, how do you possibly not? They're not even building for this. They're not even building for this year. If you remember that June Test series, which we fumbled our way through, a loss to Scotland and almost lost to Italy, and even weren't that impressive to Fiji. That was somewhat justified later on by Checker saying that he really worked 
the players really worked on their fitness because you know it wasn't there in the Super Rugby Simpson. But have we seen the results of that? Even I mean, we you know we effectively almost sacrificed that July series or June series for later results, but those later results just haven't come. It, it just it's not working. We had a we had a what a, uh, how many games undefeated in a row? I mean, what seven, eight? Like that's that's not nothing, is it? Like, I mean, that's, that's, there's your result there. I mean, and the answer is, this team's just, it's just not that good. I mean, there's no, there's no magic button you can press to, to, to magic something up. And I think it comes back to defense. And I think, you know, if there is a coaching personnel change, which I think they, I agree there needs to be, I think at least let's start with a defense coach and look at that because, you know, we seem to be we're scoring enough points every game. Even you know, with the the England game aside, which was played in horrible conditions, I mean, we're scoring twenty five points a game. That's you know, it doesn't matter if we win or lose. We're we're scoring a lot of points. It's it's that defensive element that's that's the hardest, and that's the one that we can't seem to unlock. And I don't know what the answer is. Is it different players or is it a different system? I, I personally don't know a huge, a huge amount about defence, and I tried to avoid it uh, whenever I was playing as much as I could. But, you know... But then you've got something in common with the Wallaby. Well, exactly. Like, and so, you know, you look at that game on, on Saturday and you go, well, okay, not only we've seen guys just straight out missing one-on-one tackles, and, and God knows, I don't know how you actually fix that in the sense that it's not like we're going back to basics at training and teaching people how to tackle. I mean, it, there, there's something, there's something that's, I don't know, that, that, that's why there's no, that's why the that, problem is so frustrating because there's no that, that, not one that simple attitude. answer. That's attitude. There's a really, can I just jump yeah. in there on that matter, Jay, before I go to you, Liam Gill was on the rugby dungeon uh, good mate JB from the pod, uh, from the Egg Chasers has a, a side uh, podcast called the Rugby Dungeon. He had Liam Gill on there the other day, and Liam Gill was talking about Tatsy Taylor. And so I've already mentioned Tatsy and how he's a defence coach of Scotland. Um, and he said he's the best defence coach he's had, one of the best coaches he had. And JB pushed him on it and said, what made him so good? What made him so good? And, and Liam couldn't explain what made him such good a defensive coach. All he said was he was the type of guy we wanted to play for. And that's that's a really, you know, it's a it's a hard it's you know it's not the answer you want to hear. You want to hear that he's just, and I'm sure he does. Strategically, he has these responses of how to play this team and how we're going to approach that. And I'm sure he has all that sort of stuff. But what it came down for Liam was that he was the type of guy that they wanted to play for, and, and that's that responding to a coach that we're just not seeing at the moment. And clearly, the, that's an issue. But people have said that about Checker, though, Reg. I mean that. But people have said exactly the same thing about Checker. There's that it's that intangible, and it just was, you know, at his best. It just appears like his great strength was always having that dressing room, and it was all oh, the players will run through walls for Checker. Now, I, I, you know, maybe something's changed. Maybe it seems like he's got, you know, he he does his best work in the first two or three years with the side, and then it's sort of the law yeah. of diminishing returns. You just, you know, keep going back to the well, and there's less and less there every time. Um, um. Uh, you know, to to go back to your point earlier about what I said in my article today, I mean, I think yep. I'm, I'm not yet willing to fully give up on him yet, although I, I can see all of your points and I think the cracks are appearing. And I think that Ireland series is telling. I mean, that the Ireland series is, is really the make or break. And, and if we can come out and, and, and win that series, um, you know, and win 3 0 on home soil against, against an Ireland team that is the best it's been for. You know, over a decade, I'd suggest. Um, you know, if we can come out and put put that put them away, then I think we can 
you know, I don't know, maybe Checker will have enough to take us through to the World Cup. If he can go, you know, um, bring back in David Pocock and Adam Coleman and Izzy Nicerani and, and Israel Folau, um, and these sort of guys. And if we can put it forward three good tests there, um, I think this is his audition for the World Cup. Um, and if, and if we can't, and if the same problems are still there, then I think then that's, that's the time to, to, to look and, and, and maybe have to pull a pin and put someone else in because. But Hugh, uh, if it doesn't go well against Ireland and then we have to bring in someone else and we've got a month of them to do, to do it before playing the rugby championship and playing the All Blacks, the coach doesn't get to necessarily have the staff he wants because they're contracted elsewhere. They don't get a super rugby campaign to prepare and look at the players. I mean, if we bring in someone like Dave Rennie, who's been coaching over in the UK, he might not have even been watching super rugby very closely. It won't have been watching the Australian players very closely. I mean, where does that leave us? I mean, that's the same place we were in with, with you and Mackenzie leaving all of a sudden and Checker just having to pick up the pans and, and book a flight to Europe. I mean, it's, it's a mess. Yeah, um, but... I mean, it's going to be, it's got to be now. If there's going to be a change, it's got to be now. And it's got to be there for two reasons. The first is to build on what Matt was saying. If we don't sack Checker, what we're saying is that these results are acceptable. We're saying that a record loss against England followed by a record loss against Scotland are acceptable. We're saying five losses against England in a row is acceptable. We're saying not being able to beat a South African team that is truly, truly terrible is acceptable. We're also saying we've somehow got confidence that that this versatility is going to change, that somehow there's going to be a big investment in defence, that somehow a plan B is going to materialise. Like, where where is the evidence for that belief? Like, I just cannot see it. There's no there's no evidence. There's just hope. There is only hope. But but I, but the thing is, Jamie, the guys that you say, the Dave Rennies, the Jamie Josephs, they just don't inspire me. I mean, Jamie Joseph, I mean, he's been in Japan and those, he hasn't, I mean, he hasn't really filled me with confidence with what he's done there. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I can't really worship at the altar of coaches who take New Zealand sides to super rugby titles because, I mean, I've got to say, I, I think most people could do that. I don't think it's a very particularly difficult job. I mean, the amount of talent that that Chiefs side had that Dave Rennie coached, I mean, God, they were underachieving for years. Um, and the fact that they hadn't won one was an indictment on previous coaches and not, you know, I, I'm not necessarily talking them down and, and maybe they might do well, but I mean, you know, check out, there's, I'm just not necessarily willing to go out and, 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 and give the keys to our national side on a whim to a New Zealand coach who's had one, you know, all of all of whom have had one or two good super seasons. I mean, because I mean, look, that's that's the same with what Checker had. You could say the same about probably Bernie Larkham. Um, yeah, but, you know, but those are just examples. I mean, I'm I'm saying we throw the search open and we get CVs from everyone and we pick the best candidate. I mean, they're just they're just examples. But I mean. But, I mean, but, but yeah, true. The best candidates are Kiwis, though. I mean, we, there's, I mean, the, the world rugby's. I mean, that's that's how, that's they're they're all the ones that are over in 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 the UK. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, you're right. I mean, there's there might be people out there that we haven't seen and forgotten. But I just, you know, I think if if this was a situation where it was a bit like Link with what was Checker banging down the door and Dean's with Link banging down the door, I think the discussion would be really different and would, it, you know, I think you'd hear howls in the media and howls in the public if there was an obvious candidate. And that's probably what saved Checker. There's no one else that we can see and we can and we can point to and say put him in because he'll do a better job. That's why it's got to be an open process. Yeah. And I don't want to say that Czech is a bad coach. He isn't. He's a very, very good coach. It's a relationship. It's a relationship between the team, 
the structures and the coach. And it's it's like being in a relationship, you know, yourself. When you you've been in a relationship for a few years, it's gone sour. Things are just you know they're going wrong, and you just stay in it because you don't know if there's another option around the corner. You don't you you can't compare A to B. But what you need to do is you just you know once you get to that chronic situation, you need to leave the relationship and put yourself on the open market again. And that's what the Wallabies need to do. They need to say, look, these problems have come up so many times that we we don't think they're going away. And we know that and we've got the courage to stand up and say, okay, we, we believe that to be the case. That's what I think. It is interesting to note, Matt, you mentioned Scott Johnson before, who's a Scotland rugby director of rugby, obviously, Scotty, a, a, an Aussie. Um, worth noting the... Uh, the guy who's currently the uh, performance director for Ireland Rugby, and as Hugh says, they're in form uh, better than they've been for a long time, and, and across their teams, not just their men's 15s team, is David Nusifora. So, you know, there's a strong Aussie edge out there, maybe not hands-on coaching, but highly involved in, in the, the professional rugby structures, the performance rugby structures of a couple of the high-performing Northern Hemisphere teams, definitely to the most improved. So, I don't know. Well, Rich, there's, I say, there, I, there's, there's one candidate who I've heard his name mentioned a lot, and I've got to say, especially in within ARU circles, a guy that's really could be on the up-and-up up is, um, uh, is Phil Kearns. I've got to say, as, <laughs> as the next... The elusive CEO coach that our, that our code needs. Yeah, he could double up. If not, if he can't do it, maybe Bobby Dwyer can come back at Green and Gold Rugby Zone. Bob Dwyer, there's, you know, that seems to be the way these decisions are made these days. Don't forget Alan. Don't forget Alan Jones. You know, Alan Alan Jones. Well, I was going to say. I mean, I was going to tell a story about. you, you know, we talk about the impact of Michael Checker and, and you know, Hugh saying that he is the type of coach that we've heard players want to play for and so on. And I, I'll tell you a story I heard back when Robbie Deans was appointed the Wallaby coach and we had coaching uh, selection panel and there's a few influential people, one being, I don't know whether I should say names, um, one being a, a high-profile sports administrator who had played for the Wallabies and another being a, a former Queensland Red and Wallaby um, uh, bruff forward uh, and a few other people on the committee. And anyway, Alan Jones came in without notes and went on for an hour and talked about game plans and passion and what he was going to do for the Wallabies and pretty much what we saw in the lead-up to the Barbarians guy. And this, this, this former Wallaby back who's a sports administrator who's you know, probably a bit younger and was blown away. That's incredible. How good was Alan Jones? It's fantastic. Let's give him the job. And and the the old forward said, you know, it's great when you hear it once, but when you hear it again and again and again over, you know, a couple of years, it really loses the impact. And Chex just seems to be one of those guys who relies on that 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 sort of impact and, 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 and high-end sort of motivation and growth and all that sort of stuff. And to me, it just doesn't have an impact anymore because the players certainly aren't lifting. Um, all right, let's move on to question four and look beyond just this game. And again, I guess we've probably touched on it, but let's let's talk about the season as a whole. And Matt, I'll come to you first. And uh, I don't know, can you come up with a highlight and lowlight from the Australian rugby season? And just, I don't know how far we take this, mate, because... You know, as far as Australian rugby seasons, it's got to be one of the worst ever. If you look around the the, the terrible performances of um, uh, our Super Rugby teams, and particularly the performances against the New Zealand teams, 
um, the whole debacle about the Western Force, the, the whole and, and every extension of that. You know, the the, the Senate inquiry, the the, the continual um, sort of email allegations being coming out now, um, the performance of our Wallabies. You know, gosh, even our beloved women's sevens team uh, failed to back up on their previous performance. Uh, it was just a tough year for Australian rugby all up. Probably one of the worst has been for as, for as long as I can remember. Yeah, look, I had to agree with you there. I was kind of, I was racking my brain for name a worst year for Australian rugby and why, and I was really struggling with it. Um, so, you know, because it, it's, it's at every level, isn't it, just about? Um, I think probably, you know, the, the, the grassroots and NRC um, was probably you know, closer to some of the highlights as they kind of gain ground and people seem to rediscover those. Um, if you're looking for a bit of a silver lining, uh, for me personally, uh, you know, getting along to any Bledisloe Cup match that we win is, a, is you know, even if you if it's a dead rubber and all the rest of it, you know, it's still a win, you'll take that. And that was a, that was a great night out with some mates um, to see that happen. But then as far as lowlights, yeah. So it's got to be an arm wrestle between... Saturday, where I can't remember seeing, <laughs> I can't remember seeing an, an Aussie rugby team like with someone playing with the green and gold on their chest phone it in quite so badly. And by the way, it wasn't absolutely every player. Um, Sean McMahon was going yeah, down with the yeah, yeah. He absolutely put in. Um, so, and there's probably one or two others, but geez, not many. Um, and uh, that and the AOU's absolutely maladministration of this whole Western Force drama, um, how they allowed it to turn into this ongoing saga of something. This is what everyone seems to forget is I almost don't know how we got here because it was not only telegraphed, it was, all, you know, everybody knew the Force were lined up to be the team that was going. It was done. It was only through... I mean, you know, they, they bought the thing. They had it ready to go. It was only through incredibly poor administration um, that they managed to turn this thing into the weeping sore that it's become. Uh, that So between, wow, between Scotland and that, I don't know how you choose, but maybe maybe you guys can, can put a paper between it. I don't want to put a dampener on you. A couple of your highlights there, and you talk about Sean McMahon. He and he has been unbelievable this season. This has been his best season of professional rugby. But he's leaving us. You know, he he's made the decision as a, a, a young twenty-something-year-old, early twenties, to to leave the game. You know, leave the Australian rugby. And, and look, we can understand that there's money to be made, and he's obviously feeling it. His body in Japan probably works out best for him. But that that just blows my mind that this guy on the verge of huge things is deciding to leave the game. And, mate, you talk grassroots rugby, and I get that. I get that that grand final of North Sydney Oval between two North Sydney teams, you know, North Sydney and, and Manly, um, and, and Manly winning after a while makes it look good, and there are some positives around that, but there is still a lot of challenge. I mean, talk to me about Penrith and, and, and Parramatta and how they were this year, and I'll, I'll give you examples of Queensland rugby where Logan – which is a similar sort of area, our sort of supposed growth area, um, uh, growth corridor, and the plans for the QRU was that they would be in Queensland Premier Rugby next year, and this would be this fantastic growth corridor. This is where sort of Izzy Falau and, and these guys sort of came from. Uh, um, but the decision's been made a month ago that they're not going to be they're not going to be brought up. They they haven't met the requirements. They're not going to be good enough, and they've had a, a terrible year trying to get 
reserve grade teams fooled and Colts teams fooled and the, the, the rugby, you know, for a tr- real and truly grassroots rugby isn't as good as people make out to be. There's, there's some glimmers there and, and I know the Shoot Shield guys will try and talk that up, but um, in reality, uh, across the board, there's some real challenges there. So, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to put a dampener on things, but I think reality there, it's not as good as we think. Um, Jamie, from your perspective, mate, can you can you come up with any highs and or, or help Matt out there in defining what the true low was? Uh, I think the low was related to what Matt was saying, was just the contempt that the ARU had for the rugby public. They just didn't seem to understand that the relationship between the ARU and the fans has to be different than that between a corporation and potential customers. They just don't understand the way that rugby is in this country. They don't understand the amateur roots and they don't understand that really we own the game more than the ARU does. The ARU goes away, a new organization comes in, and they prove that by renaming themselves at the end of the year. But just the, the constant lies and the constant withholding of information and still the feeling that we're not getting and we probably will never get the full picture was the low light off the field. And then on the field, it was just almost every week. And Scotland was particularly bad. But, Can yeah, you give us a highlight? It's been Any traumatic. There at all, Don't man. want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon? Can you give us a highlight at all? Any sort of highlight? A highlight. The highlight was the game in Dunedin. I actually thought that was better than the game in, in Brisbane. I thought the Dunedin game was uh, an absolute 10 out of 10 belter. The All Blacks were, had turned up. They played really well, and we probably deserved to get the win. But that was, a, that was an absolute classic game of rugby that people will watch in years to come. And um, that was a real highlight for me. Yep. Uh, Hugh, what about you, mate? Highs and lows. Highlight, highlight for the season. I'm not going to do a low light, Rich. Because I think you guys have d- dimmed the mood enough that you th- the three of you, you know, <laughs> whatever listeners we've got left, it's probably Not my parents. And hello, hello to them, <laughs> and and Dave Vessels, of course, still here. Hi, Dave. But you know, <laughs> the, so positives, you know, um, playing Dave stocks, uh, our, our our talent um, stocks in in Australian rugby, I think, a pretty high. And I can't remember a time where you look at the team and you look at that Scotland team and you look at the people that we've got to come into it, uh, our depth in key positions is pretty good. You know, the front row, there's, there's, there's guys coming through and there's, there's the experienced guys that we've got in there, but there's guys like Sham Vui and Jermaine Ainsley and, um, you know, um, Tong and Thor and, and uh, Tom Robertson and these guys that are still developing and still, you know, maybe 10 years off their best and, and, and they're good, very good props at the moment. And same in the back row. You know, as I, I mentioned, Izzy Nicerani, he's coming in next year. And I can't wait to see how he goes in the back row with David Pocock at the Brumbies. And you throw in, you know, um, guys that are coming through like uh, Rob Valentini and you throw Ross Haylett Petty in there. And, um, you know, Jack Dempsey coming back from injury and Ned Haddington after, you know, with hopefully an off-season of eating raw meat by the barrelful um, and he can come back bigger and better, and Jed Holloway coming back as well. Um, and, you know, and, and the same in the back line. You know, we've un, un, unleashed Marika Korobiti, and putting him in the Rebels back line that, that has a guy like Taylor Adams, who's a great young 10 coming through, and Reese Hodge and uh, Sefa Naivalu coming back, and, and um, you know, a, a really 
uh, star-studded sort of team that Melbourne are going to be having, and that that's going to be great to see. And 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 you know, there's 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 work to be done in in nine ten, and there's work to be done in the second row and hooker. But you know, you, you think that yeah, that's why the the focus is is so much on the coaching is because. We've got a lot of talented guys, you know. It's not like we're 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 scraping the bottom of the barrel like we have in in previous seasons. Um, so I think that's the positive for me. And you look at that NRC, and and it, and it came through loud and clear there. And that was one of the reasons why the NRC was so good this year because you just felt like we had talented players coming out of you know coming from everywhere. It, and and that was why it was so good to watch. So so that's what that's my cause for optimism optimism for next year and and things that I want to see. Those players coming out to push for Wallaby selection and, and make a case because they've done so well in the NRC. I, I can't wait to see how they'll go next year. All right, good stuff here. Well, that, yeah, that sort of jumps us into question five, which is about what we're looking forward to. I think that's some really good points. Um, I'll say a couple in, in, in the, I guess, away from the 15. Oh. I'll let others name that. But away from the 15th to 7, Sydney 7 is always a great weekend here. I'm sure you're looking forward to that, the Sydney boys there. Also Commonwealth Games year, so uh, there'll be a couple of Commonwealth Games gold medals and the 7s competition there on the Gold Coast will be pretty epic. I think those sessions are all sold out as well. So, you know, a bit to look forward to there. Uh, Matt, from your perspective, are you anything to look forward to for season 2018? Well, yeah, look, I'm... It's probably it might be a little bit too quick for this to happen, but I mean I think part of the reason why this season was just so bad was the week in week out pantsing uh, that we got in Super Rugby. You know, just to that, that kind of set the base note. Uh, and so, you know, hopefully there's you know some positive to come out of all the the downside, which was pretty much from what I can see, um, Kepler Vessels has kind of got hold of everybody he wanted to uh, or he could uh, that he wanted to out of. Uh, the force and is, is injecting them into the rebels. And so if, if suddenly we're into four stronger teams there, um, you'd hope that we start to tick up some of those win rates. Uh, I'm saying that trying to ignore what I think the Waratahs are going to look and be like, but, um, you know, hopefully that kind of, if that can strengthen and we, you know, have two, maybe three, uh, stronger teams there in the, in the conference that we've got a bit better. So, I mean, you know, that's what I'd like to try and look ahead to. I mean, look, Hugh made the point that we unearthed a little bit more uh, talent, unfortunately, which picked it, picked up the f- a few injuries. Uh, you got, and then you know you've got Poey coming back. Um, mm. That that's definitely something to look forward to. I mean, you got to remember that we, he was probably our one of our one you know key standout players for how, how many years gone by. Um, and so to have that quality back on the park, um, you know, maybe with just the right timing um, as unfortunately uh, Simon McMahon goes. Uh, so, yeah, look, yeah, it, the depths we're in at the moment, they're the ones that I'd kind of probably like to sprinkle in. <laughs> yeah, that's no, fair call. There is a lot of young talent, the Luke Antoui's and the like as well. Uh, Jamie, anything from your mate that's, that's uh, got you at least a little bit excited about next year? Oh, I'm, I'm really excited about seeing Dave Rennie's new pragmatic Wallabies team next year uh, clean, the, <laughs> clean the table of everyone. I just think uh, a 3-0 win against the Irish in June and then a, a Bledisloe Cup, you know, coming back to our shores. I'm, I'm excited about it. I think uh, Aussie Dave is going to do wonders for us. Yeah, look, you mentioned there, and it was one I was going to mention, but I thought if you guys would, you know, a three-test series with Ireland, and like Hugh says, they're, they're, 
they're a world class team this at the moment, and hopefully they pull off, bring a full strength team. Yeah, hopefully the Aussie fans get behind it, and sorry, more than that, hopefully the AAU get behind it and really promote it and get this, um, yeah, a, a big sort of show of support and and promotion behind that series because it should be a really good one. You know, the England one last year was fantastic, even putting the result aside, but you know this one should be you know perhaps up there as well. So hopefully uh, that one pays out to be one of the better mid-season tours we've had for a while. Um, lads, I think that's pretty much it for the night. You know, we've had an all-good rant. I think we can all deserve to, to check off and go have a l- good lie down. Unfortunately for you, Jamie, you're, you're starting the day. Matt and I can sort of wrap it up now and, and, and clock off, but you're, you're about to hit the, hit, the, uh, hit the road, I guess. He's but, gone. Um, He's out. Well, can yeah, I say, Rich, quickly, fair enough. quickly, um, yeah, go here. Worth, worth noting that that Irish Irish series and some of the tests were probably going to be played at Allianz Stadium, a bit of a swan song. And Waratah's fans uh, as well. The last season in, in Allianz Stadium before it gets demolished and, and rebuilt um, at at, um, at great expense. So um, I'm going to miss waiting 40 minutes for a beer. I mean, that's going to be... <laughs> The, 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 those queues were brilliant. Or, or waiting 40 minutes for a beer to find out that they'd run out or close. That yeah, was, uh, having, that, having functional plumbing is going to be a real coup for that place too. <laughs> Not having to stand in urine, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but look, can I just say, guys, it's been it's been a long... No matter, even though it's been, at times, probably the most testing season we've had, um, it's been great to... Uh, be podcasting with you guys, also with Jamie, um, Reg. You having to carry it usually at the top of the show there, um, sounding trying to sound upbeat <laughs> despite whatever's happened. It has been hard this season, um, but thanks guys for doing that, and I just wanted to say thanks for everybody for listening as well. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, mate. Well said. Cause, yeah, thanks to all our listeners. We uh, sort of hit the airways this year too. Remember, we were on uh, Eon Sports Radio over there for a little while. Um, before they went RIP. to funk, so it, it, it yeah, exactly. Uh, it's well, been a, a massive. Go, Matt. I was going to say that's where Hugh got all his personal sponsorship. If I remember back. <laughs> yeah, of course, and thank you to uh, Sydney Mercedes for the for the vehicle. It's it's been a great drive. I've got to say, go in and see Giuseppe in the game because they are fantastic. <laughs> Um, and and thanks to Nick and the, the booth for producing the shows for us. We uh, thanks to all our loyal listeners. We really appreciate it. We probably won't be back this year. You know, not much else to talk about. There is the Dubai Sevens on this weekend, um, and obviously Seven season kicks off in earnest. So get into that. The Aussie team's been named. The men looking pretty good as well. But uh, enjoy your rugby, whatever shape it is, over the next little while get onto the ashes perhaps and support a winning Australian team. And who knows whether we'll be back. Next year, it seems a long way away, but uh, the rugby most definitely will, and let's hope the, the Aussie teams put up a good show. Uh, to, to Matt, Hugh, and Jamie, thanks for joining us, and to all our listeners, uh, we'll catch you soon. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a beer.